Heavenly Father, we come to your throne of grace this morning. Oh Lord, the needs are many. You know them all. Lord, we pray that you would be present not only with us this morning as your word goes forth, that you would use this vessel of clay to bring forth your word in its power yet in its simplicity that everyone can understand and that you would open hearts to receive your word in meekness mingled with faith. Be with those that could not be here, the shut-in, the, the sick, the lonely, the widow. Oh Lord, you know each and every soul. You will not allow a hair to fall from our heads without your knowledge. And you see each sparrow fall as well. So please be with us, speak to our hearts, we pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Dear ones, with the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. <clears throat> When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself, to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof but speak the word only, and my servants shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he, mar he, <clears throat> he marveled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. I have read up to and including verse 22. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's all kneel before the Lord in prayer.
Loving Father in heaven, we come before thee this morning hour. Where can we go? To whom can we turn? Who can give us the answers? Who can provide us with our needs? Who can we trust? Who can we depend on? Who can we confide in? Who can counsel us? Oh Lord, we see this world has its limitations. We see that the wisdom of this world is come to naught. And we see that if we want true and abundant life, as Jesus promised to his, his sheep, we can only find it in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come to your feet for learning. We come to your feet for wisdom and understanding, for comfort, for strength. And we pray especially for those that are going through very difficult times at this moment. For those that are grieving, that have been saddened by the loss of their loved ones. We pray for the Chrysan family in Harrow. We pray that you'll be their comfort and their strength. We pray that they will see their lives in the light of eternity. That this is not a losing of a father. But a send off to one that is going home to his heavenly father. When the weary work of earth is done, it is time to go to rest, to eternal rest. And so, Father, we pray you will comfort them with these words and it will move them and inspire them to be faithful like their father was and to also yearn for that heavenly home because this earth is not our home. Father, we pray for those that are still suffering under the COVID situation, this pandemic that doesn't seem to give up on us, a pandemic which you have allowed even to come upon your children. Oh Lord, help us that through it all we would trust in you and hope in you. We thank you, Lord, for the many answered prayers already. We thank you, Lord, for Brother Sasha coming from death's door to, to where he is now. We pray that you continue to work in him and continue to give him recovery so that he can be rejoined, not only in physical presence, but in conversation around the dinner table once more and with the brethren in church every Sunday and midweek. Father, we pray for and thank you for these answered prayers as your people have fallen on their knees and sought thee out and you have heard. Father, we pray for our sister Olga Ordog who is still recovering from her transplant and we also thank thee for the progress that we have heard of late. And we pray that she may continue to improve and that you would take away her pain and her suffering and bring about a time when we can once again, we can rejoice worshiping face to face and fellowshipping with each other. There are many Lord needs that we have, that we pray for in our congregations, the sick, the hurting, the suffering, the aged. We pray that you would be with each and every one of them and that you would be the healer, their comfort and their strength. Father, we pray for our unconverted, the ones that we know, that we love, the ones that are dear to us, that we pray for on an ongoing basis, 
Oh Lord, we pray that you would be merciful and gracious to them, that you would visit them with your Holy Spirit, that he would touch their hearts, that he would reveal to them and remove the roadblocks in their mind and bring truth that they will accept and believe in a very simple faith. We pray for the, com the country, the government. Oh Lord, the nations of this world are a far cry from where they started off, especially those that professed Jesus Christ in their constitutions and in their governments. We pray that you would convict the leaders of the country, that their eyes would be opened. As William Tyndale prayed on his dying breath, open the eyes of the king as they burned him at the stake because he translated the word of God into the common language. Lord, help us to glorify your name in all that we do, that we may be examples to them, and that we would do that which is pleasing your sight. Be with us now in this day, we pray, and we ask all of these things and give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. My eyesight is not as good as it used to be, so I'm using my little pad here because I can blow up the, the fonts. This past week, we had our first session on prayer on Wednesday night. And it was emphasized that we are doing more so, we are praying more and more so because of the needs that come up. But prayer is not as we were taught that prayer is not just to petition for things that we need, but it is also a form of worship of God. We worship God in prayer. This past week, I was thinking, what does our church need to hear? We need to hear more and more, of course, the word of God, but what in particular? And as we have been counseling with souls for salvation, and as we realize we have still many souls that have not yet been accepted into the fold of Jesus Christ, what do we need to hear? Is it more information? Is it more truths or proofs from the Word of God? My eyes came upon this chapter, chapter 8, as I searched for words to, to, to bring forth this, this morning. Because it's got some very simple vignettes, the little scenes in the life of Christ. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of trumpet blowing, not a lot of fancy introductions, just the simple, pure and true words of Jesus Christ. Jesus had just finished his Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. And now as he was descending from the mountain, great multitudes followed him because they were there on the mountain with him. It is not sure what this mountain was, but um, he came into Capernaum. It is believed that this mountain was somewhere behind Capernaum. And he came down. And these great multitudes that sat there listening to him these wonderful words of life as we sing in the gospel hymn. They followed him. There was some ring of truth to those that may have heard this kind of um, 
teaching for the first time, even though it was, a lot of it was based on the Old Testament. In chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. To bring it to its completion, what the, the intent of the law was. The law is not evil. It's not, um, as, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, but is just and holy and good. And he takes that from the Old Testament too. But Jesus came to escalate the law, what the real spiritual meanings of the law were. Because by this time, the law um, was taken as a, just a, a rule book. And you had to check off all these things that you did. And it, and, and it didn't matter how you did them. As long as you finished up doing them, the, the laws. I didn't commit adultery. Check it off. But Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery already in your heart. I didn't kill a person, but Jesus said, but if you look upon, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you'll be in danger of the, the judgment and so forth. And he elevated and, 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 and raised, if you will, the standard that was being practiced by these chief priests, scribes, Pharisees. And he told them, not this look-up book or this look-up table what to do. Once you check everything off, you are now acceptable to God. But he actually gave them principles for their lives. So that it could apply this principle to every facet of their lives. You know, King uh, Darius, when, when Daniel broke the law, that if anybody prays to Jerusalem, then they will be suffering the death penalty. And he loved Daniel. But because the law of the Medes and Persians couldn't be broken, he couldn't go against it. And he sought, probably in his little look-up table, what can I do here to get him off the hook? And he couldn't find anything because it wasn't in his table. And finally, God answered. God answered. And God was glorified because he stopped the mouths of the lions, as, as Hebrews 11 says, for some of his saints. So we have Jesus coming down from the mountain. They followed him from this mount. They'd been refreshed, invigorated. And now as he was coming down, a leper comes up and worships him. A leper. He, he, broke, the, he broke the law. This leper broke the law. He shouldn't be approaching anyone. He should be in some colony away. I mean, you talk about social distancing. That was social distancing back then. Because he had a contagious disease. Now, some people say, well, leprosy is not a contagious disease. Well, I, my, my, my son challenged me on that once. He said, well, I just found out leprosy is not a contagious disease. So I checked it out and said, well, it is a contagious disease. I mean, Wikipedia says that. What else do you want, right? It's a contagious disease. It's not as contagious as the Omicron virus, but it's contagious. And it can have deadly effects, if you will, over a long period of time. Symptoms could develop as much as 20 years. And it's a bacteria that is passed on. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it, but it's a bacteria that affects your extremities. And it affects your nervous system. And your hands are becoming like claws over a period of time. And you begin to lose uh, limbs because you lose sensing in your extremities and the wear and so forth. And it goes on. And it was a very debilitating disease. And it spreads. That's why leprosy is often a metaphor for sin. Because sin spreads. You know, Jeremiah says, can a leopard change his spots? And I remember the hymn in the Gospel hymns 588 where, 
And I looked at that. What did it say? They actually put leper. Can a leper change his spots? Maybe they were alluding to the leper because they have all these spots all over their bodies. But, but a leopard cannot change his spots because that's how God made them. But God allowed these diseases to come upon us because that was the curse that fell upon mankind. That, that, that humanity, that all of nature is crying out in desperation for relief, for rest, for respite from their pain and their suffering. And this leper takes this risk that he approaches not only the Jewish rabbi but this huge crowd that is following him. Maybe that was a scenario. I'm not sure exactly, exactly how it was when, they, when he came down to Capernaum. And he cried out, if you will, he wasn't demanding. He knew he was, you know, the, the, uh, the saying, beggars can't be choosers. He was a beggar. He was begging the Lord Jesus Christ because he had heard of his fame, of his power, of his miracles. And, and, and the first year of the ministry of Jesus Christ was all about miracles because he wanted to grab the attention of the people. The reason miracles were performed was to confirm his words. Apostle Paul talks about the signs of an apostle. God gave certain gifts and power to the apostles and that they were wrought through the apostles. Paul raised the dead. Paul healed. They said even if they took the handkerchief from his, around, from his, around his neck and, and put it on somebody, it would heal the person. Or they were hoping that, to do that at least. So he gave them signs. He gave them power. He gave them, when he sent out the, the 12 in Matthew chapter 10, two chapters from here, he gave them power over spirits and demons and, and, and to heal and everything. And, and they came back rejoicing. And Jesus says, don't rejoice because you can cast out devils. He says, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. For God, it's, it's, it's not a big deal to perform a miracle. It's not a big thing for God to perform a miracle. But God chooses when and how and to whom he will do this. So that his name will be spread. And it's not always broadcast. And he just fell before the Lord and worshipped him. He prostrated himself before Christ. And this is the first time in, in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus was addressed by someone, by a human being as Lord. Not that he was called Lord, but somebody addressed him as Lord. And he begged him, you can make me clean. How did he muster up the courage or the boldness to break the rules that he knew that every Jew needed to, to abide by? If he was indeed this Jewish rabbi, maybe if, if it was a Pharisee, he'd immediately reject him because he broke the law. How dare you do this? There were even stories of rabbis and, and, and Jews that were making fun of lepers and making all kinds of uh, things behind because they, they felt that they were judged by God because they were lepers. And look at what happened. Jesus, no fanfare, Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. 
some would say, that's fantastic. That's, it's, who, who can believe that? Well, you, you have one big dilemma here. You either believe God, who he said he was, and every other miracle makes sense, or you don't believe God, then you've got to spl- explain every miracle on, an, on a case-by-case basis. I remember of a sister back in, uh, some of you may know her, Lillian Sabo, when her son was involved with this horrific fire accident in some confined space where the gas tank exploded and, and he, was, he suffered, I forget what, F-degree burns. And he was in dire straits in hospital. She told me this in person. At camp, she came. And this is what I heard before, but she told me this in person. She said she placed her hand on his hand and prayed. And the place where she placed her hand on, she healed the scarring on her, on his hand, on his forearm. She was a believer. She was at camp. She had, she had a wonderful voice. So you can go on having to explain every other phenomenon, every other miracle on earth by rejecting God, or you can accept God for what he said he was, or what he is, and then everything else, everything else makes sense. And it was very simple. It was a very simple request, not complicated. You know, I've, I learned a long time ago, simple and difficult are two different things. If I tell you, you know, I'm going to give you a simple instruction. The instruction is climb Mount Everest. It's very simple. Climb Mount Everest. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not complicated. You mean you want me to get from here to the top? Yeah, it's a simple instruction. But the path could be difficult. See, with the, Jesus said, for with God all things are possible. Doesn't mean they're easy. A few chapters down from this one, Jesus, when they, he healed the paralytic, and he told him to write, to pick up your bed and walk. And then he said, Who is this man? Uh, so he said, First of all, your son, your, your sins are forgiven me. And they said, Who is this man that can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, Well, what's easier for me to say? Your sins, your sins be forgiven you or take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth. Take up your bed and walk. He proved his words through his miracle that he performed in front of their eyes. And when they had saw it and they rejected him and, and when Jesus healed the the, the, the men that were possessed with devils cast out devils. I said, oh, he's casting out devils by, by builds above the prince of the devils. And they saw his miracles and they witnessed them. They were there. Jesus said, you can, you can speak evil of Christ. You can speak evil of God. But if you speak evil against the Holy Spirit, you have no forgiveness, not in this world nor in the world to come. Basically, you'll be reprobated because you refuse to hear or to, 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 to believe the things that you've seen with your own eyes and that the Holy Spirit is showing you and prodding you and pricking your heart with. You suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1, 18, I think, says. It was a simple act. I will be thou clean. And then Jesus said to him, see that you tell no man. Don't tell anyone about this. Why? Because like he told his mother, my time has not yet come. The fullness of time in the sense of what is going to happen to him is not yet come. He wanted to have this slow release capsule for people maybe to have time to, 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 to take in what was going on at the present. And then to see them one at a time, but not to have this uproar of everyone following him because of 
what he has just done. There's a there's reason in his, in his mind, in the mind of God, why he refused to release everything to everyone at once. Even when the gospel went out, he said in Acts chapter 1, you will first of all witness, me, witness of me in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. He said, this is how the gospel is going to be released. God in his wisdom. But guess what? What would happen when he goes to the priest? and He tells the priest what happened. Hey, I'm cleared. I'm cleansed of leprosy. I don't have this very contagious disease anymore. I'm not debilitated anymore. I'm whole. And he had to offer some turtle doves or whatever in sacrifice for the cleansing as was, was uh, written in the book of Leviticus. What would the priest think? He'd give that story to his fellow priests. It'll reach the high priests sooner, sooner or later. Then they'll see, uh, we've got a threat here. Someone's competing with us. Then very simply he says, and Jesus entered into Capernaum. There came unto him a centurion beseeching him. You've got one extreme of a, a contagious diseased leper, which was to the Israelites a judgment from God to many. But now you've got this Roman centurion, the oppressor, that's come to Jesus, also to the Israelites, an enemy, because they occupied their land and limited their worship and, and bossed them around, took taxes from them, tribute. And this man also is taking a risk. He's, he's approaching this man, this this this. this Head of a says centurion means a hundred, but they say it's probably more like eighty or so within this one cohort. Eighty in the in the centurion's command, and then so many in a cohort and so forth. This man comes to Jesus, and for some reason he's. He's got his servant at home, and you would think, why would he care about his servant? Weren't they a dime a dozen? There were so many slaves that could do what they wanted with. But he built up a relationship with this servant. Maybe this servant was a Jew, a God-fearing Jew, from which he learned a lot. I don't know. But for some reason, this servant was very endeared to the centurion. And he came to Jesus. And said, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy. He's paralyzed. He's debilitated. And he's grievously tormented. Living like this every day. And here's Jesus again. Not a lot of fanfare. He says, I will come and heal him. You know, you see some of, and I've watched a, a lot of these shamans, these performers, that want a following and they have this big event where they're going to call people up and, and go through all these exercises and rituals before they finally heal him. I'm not, I'm not doubting that healing occurs by any means today. But if you're going to heal him, heal him in, your, in the closet. Why have a performance? And then later on, when you found out that they weren't really healed, that it was all fake, as some people that picked up radio signals at, a, at one of these big uh, conventions, 
And this one man, this one preacher talking to somebody else and interviewing this person, denying exactly what they had. It wasn't Jesus. He was, he was the creator of the universe, and yet he spoke simply. I will come and heal him. And then the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy. He must have believed in this man by now. He must have got the message. He must have witnessed either the miracles or was told by his servant what this man had done and what he was doing. I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. Remember, uh, Cornelius was a centurion. He experienced all this. He was a God-fearing man, it says. He was a devout man. And he gave alms. And God recognized his heart. And he sent Peter to him. And all he needed was the gospel to connect him to Jesus Christ. There are truth seekers Because they see God everywhere in creation. And he cometh to him, says, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man of, under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He knew Jesus was a man of authority. And he knew what it was like to be a man of authority. And he could just say, do this and it'll have to be done. And he appealed to Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, he said, he, he marveled. Can the, the, the creator of the universe, Jesus was the creator, remember that. God, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, plural. Hebrews said that God, that he executed creation through Christ by him, by whom he created the world. So Jesus was the creator. He, this creator, Jesus Christ, marvels when he sees this faith. Was he not expecting it? Was he surprised? I can't explain that. Except that Jesus took on flesh. And he left a lot of things behind in glory. Including his majesty and his, and his glory, he said. Because he said, one day I'm going to come back and get that glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Before the world began, I had this glory with you. He left it behind. What else did he leave behind? Did he limit himself? I don't know. But he marveled. There's a, there's a ver and I looked up that, that word in the Greek because I like to tra traverse through the Bible and see where else is that word in the Greek concordance? The G, whatever it is, 5118 number is. Where is it? There's one verse in, he, in Thessalonians 1.10 that is said, the same word is used as admired. They can use them differently depending on the context. And it says, of the Lord that you admired. Maybe Jesus looked upon this centurion and admired him. For his faith. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He came to his own. His own received him not. But whoever received him to then gave you power to become the children of God. The sons of God. And then he indicted the Jewish leaders, I believe. And those that followed the leaders. He says, 
Many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of, the heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth because of lack of faith. Because of a lack of faith. Paul goes to great extents, to great lengths to explain what Jesus is saying here in Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11. Why Israel didn't attain to what she was meant to attain. Because they received or attempted to be accepted by God, not by faith, but by works. By what they can do. What really struck me about this, ver the, this particular chapter is because it was so simple. And I'll tell you why I, I looked for something like this. Many years ago, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, I bought a set of books, little booklets that, that were inspiring booklets of missionaries and men of faith and women of faith. A little library I had. And there was a man there by which, and, and I confess, I didn't read it until I came across this particular uh, man by the name of Samuel Morris. And when I explained it to my wife, she said, oh, I read that book. It's the one that you bought. Samuel Morris was a, was a young lad born into a tribe called the Crew Tribe in the, in the country of Liberia. And there were lots of tribal wars going on. And then when they, one tribe prevailed, they would capture the son of the chief and say, we have your son now. We want you to give us some kind of ransom for him. Every month you've got to give us this, many, this much food, like crops or whatever it could be. And if you satisfy us, you can get your son back. And it so happened that they could never satisfy this chief that, that kidnapped the son. And this son was beaten and tortured and whipped with poisonous vines with, with thorns on them. He was only 14 or 15, if that. And this went on for weeks and months. And every time he came back with something to offer, he wouldn't be good enough. To the point where he kept on beating this, this uh, boy called Kabu. And one time when he beat him, all of a sudden he said that, th th this is something that you can verify by going to American history, but at one time you, he, he heard, he, he saw this brilliant white light, or brilliant light from, from the sky. And it says, Kabu, run, run. And he got so much strength, he took off and he ran through the jungles. And they followed him after many days. I couldn't find him. He hid in a tree trunk. And for many days, he then took off and he found a coffee plantation. And there was a little boy there also by, from the Kabu tribe. And he took him in and there was a mission there. And in that mission, he went and he saw this boy kneeling on his knees and praying to God. When he joined their Sunday school, he heard about Saul, who had also had this vision of this great light. And he recollected that's what happened to him. And he believed. And he believed the gospel. And then when, this, when the, uh, the, the Sunday school teacher or whoever was there that was teaching him more and more, he wanted to know more, and he said, she said, I can't tell you more. I, that's all I know, but there's someone that can tell you more. His name is Stephen Merritt. Where is he? He's in New York, in America. I'm going to go, because you don't understand. It's a long way. It was a five-month ship voyage. At the age of 15, he started doing this. By the time he was 18... When this happened, 
he decided to walk five days, I don't know how many, few days to Monrovia and from there catch a ship, from there to New York, because he was looking for someone to tell him more about God. That's how simple his faith was. And long story short, he finally convinced this mean uh, captain on the ship to accept him in, and he thought he could help him with the masts and the work on the ship, and he didn't know how to do it, and he, he was very much abused and, 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 and uh, if you will, buffeted there by the crew. When he got to New York, he asked the first man he got off the boat, I'm looking for a Steve Merritt in his broken English that he learned in Liberia. He said, oh, I know Steve Merritt. He was, this, is, this was a guy that lived on the streets. I used to go there to, he would give me supplies. And he went there, and to make a long story short, he introduced himself, he mentioned the, na the names of the people that referred him to in Liberia, and Steve Merritt took him in straight away. And what this young man did at the age of 18, he prayed, he always prayed, and when he prayed, people, the way he prayed in a simple, uh, um, convicting, desperate manner, it brought them to tears. His faith was real. So much so that everybody wanted to hear him. Everybody wanted to... He, Steve Merritt went for one hour when he first introduced... Um, uh, was introduced and came, we went going to some prayer meeting came back and he had something like 17 people in that place where he was in the, in the mission that were on their knees with him praying and crying people would come to his door because every time they came to his door he would invite them in and he would want them to read aloud the Bible, which he never had for the first 18 years of his life or 16 years of his life. Merritt wanted to take him to the town. He was going to a funeral. They'd gone horse and buggy. And Merritt's trying to show him, oh, this is our biggest church in the city, the spire in the city. And this is where the, uh, the opera house is. And, and Kabu said, Mr. Merritt, do you ever pray in your carriage? Well, I do. So we're going to pray. And he kneeled in the carriage as the carriage was going and Merritt kneeled with him. And he prayed, God, please. I came to hear God. I came to know more about the Holy Spirit. Please change Mr. Merritt's heart. To speak more about God, more about the Holy Spirit. That's why he came to North America, to learn more about God. And it changed Merritt's life for good. Then they recommended this young man to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana. We have churches in, around that area, the sister churches. To Taylor University. And there he made a humongous impression. The churches that he, that he visited, the Methodist Episcopalian churches, he, he went there. The first thing he did when he walked in, he didn't sit in the pews. He went to the minister and says, do you mind if I give you my testimony? He's wondering, sure. After his testimony, he had people crying and weeping Wanting to pray more and more with him. His name was in the newspapers. You don't have to believe me. Check it out. Samuel Morris was given to him as a name from a former missionary that was a mentor to the Sunday school teacher, if I'm not mistaken. He had a simple faith. If he reads that, if you shall seek me with all your heart, he believed it. He did it. If he says that we need to live for God and God alone, he did it. And he wasn't afraid to, to talk to people, to pray with them. He would be in his room praying and people would be knocking on the door. And he wouldn't answer the door because he wasn't finished praying. It really humbled me. 
Because many times, early in the morning, I'm praying and the telephone rings. I've got to go and get that. What's more important? You're, inter- you're, you're interfering with this worship service between you and God. Well, I better get that. It must be important. Really? More important than your relationship with God. More important about the people you're praying for. More important for the needs. More important for glorifying God. And I thought, what an example to me. You know, he only lived two years in America because he died. Because he wasn't used to the winters. And he went walking for miles and blocks to a church in middle winter and he got pneumonia and he died. He was 20 years old. Died of pneumonia. They buried him in, I'm not sure, it was a Fort Wayne or Taylor University, the cemetery there. And they put a big tombstone. And they talked about his vision of this spirit-filled life and how he wanted to go back to Liberia to tell the people about Jesus now that he learned more. They built a statue about for him, a monument, It's there. The one they called the Ebony Angel. A simple faith. He didn't have to know all the ins and outs, all the answers, all the the questions, all the debates. When the atheist came to his room and he said, I don't know, he wanted to challenge him because he must have got convicted and he wanted to challenge him that there is no God. How can you believe in things like this? You know what he said? You don't believe that God is the Father? You don't believe that Jesus Christ is the brother? Do you see the Son? You don't believe that God exists? And after a talk with this atheist, he's atheist converted. Two years, and he impacted so many lives. Simple faith, no, no miracles. John Baptist didn't perform any miracles, no miracles, but he just practiced what he believed in and what he preached. What's the takeaway? What are we doing? Are we practicing what we believe? Are we too afraid to say things in case people take it the wrong way? He was very bold. He was very intentional. He was very deliberate. He had a God that was real. Is our God real? Or are we just thinking, I'm going to go through the motions and God will accept me as the way it is? I'll hide my talent. I'll bury it. I won't lose it. What are we doing to be effective? And You know, I always say, I preach to myself first. I know I'm not doing enough. I know I can be doing more. I know my faith could be simpler. I didn't have to rationalize. And you may have this hurdle in your life where you overthink things in your faith. You're constantly analyzing, calculating, rationalizing I can't do it because of this and I can't do it because of this I can't completely uh, surrender my life because of this but what about what happens down the road here what about there that's not what Jesus gospel is all about today if you hear his voice harden not your heart don't worry about tomorrow sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof Don't worry, bring it before God as as did uh, young Samuel Morris. Every time there was a need, Merritt would say, "Go, go and ask your father in heaven. 
He trusted him so much. Instead of they teaching him, he taught them. Puts me to shame. Puts me to shame. You can, you can doubt whatever happened in Africa. You can doubt some of the things that happened on the ship where uh, by the time he got to New York, half of them were converted. You can doubt all of that. What you can't doubt, what well, was done in North America because it was documented. It was on the front page of the newspapers. And what would this Liberian be doing in North America for two years? How could that happen? He didn't make any sales on books for his great story. He died. And he knew he was going to die when he was in bed. Faith is simple. Our faith, once we believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, what are the object, ob obstacles, what is holding us back. He's not asking you to do miracles, power. He's, not ask, he's just asking you to believe and obey. Like the centurion, my servant does this, I tell him to go, he goes. I tell him to come, he comes. I tell him to do it, he does it. That's what God wants us to do. Well, I'm not sure what the will of God is. Read the Bible. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Live a pure life. Big one. Pray to God. Seek him. Ask him. Knock. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Worship him. Nothing complicated. My prayer is that We would make God real in our lives and we would do it with a simple, unhindered faith like the child of Matthew 18. Unless you, be, unless you become a child and change your ways, be converted, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. To God be the glory evermore. Amen. Many years ago, I remember hearing of a man that he came from Africa and he went to a college. And when he was asked by the president of the college, which room can I give you? He said, Give me the room that nobody else wants. I just learned that was Samuel Morris. That was Samuel Morris. When he heard that, the president turned and he began to cry. Samuel didn't cling to the Things of this world, give me the best, the luxurious. I'm getting cheated. I need something better. I need to... From the life he had in Africa compared to what he had here, in doing what truly gave him fulfillment and joy in spreading the gospel. The Bible says that the, the righteous are as bold as lions. They have nothing to fear. The king of the jungle. In the same Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, which I quoted from already, 
He said, seek not what you shall put on or what you shall eat. He said, but first seek ye the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's the simple faith that the centurion had. That's the simple faith that the leper had. That's the simple faith that Samuel Morris had. And even though his desire was to go back to Liberia to preach the gospel to those that didn't hear it, people from Taylor University decided altogether they would perform a team and they went and did something in his stead. That one seed... Because someone believed a simple faith in a real God. I pray that we can do the same. I pray. May God bless the word to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.